Refugia, a podcast about renewal. Refugia are places of shelter where life endures in times of crisis. From out of these small sanctuaries, life re-emerges and the world is renewed. We're exploring what it means for people of faith to be people of Refugia. How can we create safe places of flourishing micro-countercultures where we gain strength and spiritual capacity to face the challenges ahead. I'm Deborah Reinstra, Professor of English at Calvin University, and this is Refugia. What I love about what we do is we're trying to offer a, a space where people can integrate those things. Yeah. Uh, we're helping them recognize that, no, not only is climate action uh, not a threat to our faith, it's yeah. actually deeply consistent with yeah. what it means to be practicing Christians in the world, what it means to be disciples of Christ right now in the 21st century. Hi everyone, I am so excited to share this episode with you because one of my favorite things to do is to hold up the work of amazing young people. And Kyle Meyard Skop is an amazing young professional. He's helping to mobilize a generation of young Christians toward hopeful and effective action in the midst of the climate crisis. He's persuasive and wise and genuine and manages to serve as both a challenger and a peacemaker at once. It's really impressive. And Kyle's work is a lesson in how intentional action undertaken together can be its own kind of refugium. So prepare to be inspired. And if you're coming into the podcast for the first time with this episode, welcome. I hope you go back and listen to the other episodes sometime when you get a chance. But for now, thanks for listening. Today I'm talking with Kyle Meyard Scop, National Organizer and Spokesman for Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, also Calvin Grad. Kyle is here today to talk about how his work is going and to talk about how young people can create places of refugia. Hey, Kyle. Hey, how are you doing, Deborah? I'm good. Thanks for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. So we are in the Rhetoric Center at Calvin College. I suppose that's appropriate because you deal with rhetoric mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're hiding here today because it's Passport Day at Calvin, so a lot of new students and families are uh, clomping around campus, exploring, learning, um, getting oriented. Mm -hmm. So we're hiding out here in the library in the Rhetoric Center. I remember Passport vividly. Do you? Yes. Do you have a good Passport story? Not in particular. Is that where you met I your wife or something? No, that I met my wife in high school. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those stories. <laughs> Great. Well, tell us um, what Young Evangelicals for Climate Action does and how you got involved. Sure. So Young Evangelicals for Climate Action is a national network of young Christians from all over the country uh, who are coming together and taking action to overcome the climate crisis as part of our Christian witness and discipleship. Mm -hmm. That's our mission statement. And, and I think the last bit of that is what resonates most deeply with me, that we do this not because we're Democrats or Republicans. Mm -hmm. We do this not even because we identify primarily as environmentalists. We do this because we're Christians. Mm -hmm. And we believe this is what it means for people to follow Christ in the 21st century, to take climate change seriously as a moral issue, as a gospel issue, and to do what we can to educate our peers, to invigorate the church with uh, hopeful action and to hold our political leaders accountable for taking the crisis seriously and enacting policy, uh, the policy that we need. Mm -hmm. I got involved um, in 2013, January of 2013. Uh, YECA was less than a year old. 
I had just started at the Christian Reformed Church Office of Social Justice as a fellow. It was immediately after graduating from Calvin. Mm -hmm. And I went to a conference in Washington, D.C., and I met this guy named Ben Lowe. Uh, He was the founding spokesperson for YECA in the role that I currently hold. And we got dinner together. He told me about the mission and vision of YECA. Uh, I was down. And (laughs) he he said, why don't you join our National Steering Committee? Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of jumped in feet first. uh, And I've been with the organization ever since uh, as a volunteer steering committee member until 2016 when I stepped into the staff role. So I've I've been on the staff role for about three years now. So you have a seminary education as well. Right. When did that fit in? Yeah. Great question. (laughs) So at the same time that I was getting involved with YECA as a volunteer steering committee member, uh, I was discerning this call toward seminary, this, this call toward serving Christ's church. Uh, And I often talk about that call um, as maybe less than conventional, um, perhaps maybe just less than what we often think of as a call mm-hmm. towards seminary. Um, or maybe I, different than conventional. There you go. Yeah. 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 Maybe not less. Yeah. That's different. that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Different. Um, and and I, I always felt a call to serve the church um, in, in some meaningful way, but I, I didn't always feel called to um, kind of a traditional pastoral role. Uh, so at this time, I was discerning this call. Um, I was getting deeply involved in advocacy um, and justice work at the Office of Social Justice. Um, Those were values that were deeply important to me because of my time at Calvin. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I decided to go to seminary and and I continued to kind of discern this call that that God was putting on my life to to lead Christ's church um, in some way. And I've, I've come to understand the shape of that call for now, at least, looks like helping the church recognize uh, the ethical and moral implications of the climate crisis, how it connects to scripture, Mm -hmm. to the gospels, how it connects to our values as people of faith, and then offering hopeful, meaningful action um, that arises out of our faith Mm -hmm. as, as the church. Okay, we'll explore some of those relationships in a minute. What does a typical day look like for you? I'm not sure I have a typical day. <laughs> That's one of the fun things about this work is I kind of wake up and I have a general idea of you know what my to-do list contains, but um, it's not always entirely certain what the day will look like. So on any given day, um, I might be on the phone with a journalist or a reporter mm-hmm. um, giving an interview about the work that we do. Um, I might be writing an op-ed for uh, a newspaper publication uh, or an online publication. Uh, I might be on a video call with some of our organizers um, on college campuses, mm-hmm. um, learning about the latest work that they've been doing, encouraging them, helping them troubleshoot problems. Um, I might be writing a fundraising letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might mm-hmm. be writing a newsletter or an email blast that we're sending out. I might be doing social media. Yeah content creation. Um, so it's it's really varied work, which I find uh, exciting. Yeah. yeah. What was your major at Calvin? I was a religion major. Ah, mm-hmm. That's where you learned all those good communication skills, analysis skills. It's where I learned to think deeply. Ex- yeah. Jesus yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So who joins in this work of the YECA? Who's excited about it? What are they looking for? Mm. What are they longing for? What are they resisting mm-hmm. when they get involved with this work? A lot of the people who find us and join our movement uh, are people who grew up in the church, Mm -hmm. um, many of whom have have had, 
I wouldn't say every one of them has had some sort of crisis, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them, a very common thread in the stories we hear is that um, many of them may have grown up in a church context that discouraged them from thinking deeply about a variety of social issues Mm -hmm. and how it connected to their faith, including environmental concerns Mm -hmm. and climate change in particular. A lot of people were told either explicitly or implicitly in their churches that if they wanted to explore climate change and be active on climate change, that they needed to keep that outside of the church. So go join the Sierra Club or 350.org, which are terrific organizations, by the way. Yes. Uh, but don't bring it into the church um, because it, it doesn't belong here. Okay. Uh, and then a lot of those young people uh, who, who kind of had this passion for caring for God's creation, for thinking deeply about how to protect it as we're called to do. Many of them then went off to college and learned even more about Mm -hmm. the science of climate change, about the theology of creation care. And that dissonance just grew um, larger Mm -hmm. for many of them. Uh, So a lot of people who find us um, have had this this dissonance for a long time between their faith, the faith that they had been taught and handed that taught them to love God well, to, to love Christ's church well, to care about the church's witness and faithfulness in the world, uh, and what they were learning in their classrooms about climate science, about what the Bible says about how we care for God's world. Uh, and they had a really hard time bringing the two yeah. together. And so what I love about what we do is we're trying to offer a a space where people can integrate those things. Uh, We're helping them recognize that, no, not only is climate action um, not a threat to our faith, it's actually deeply consistent with what it means to be practicing Christians in the world, what it means to be disciples of Christ right now in the 21st century. Um, So a a lot of the people that are joining our movement um, have had some kind of experience like that. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to find a way to integrate their faith with a concern for climate change and trying to find hopeful, meaningful ways to take action. Um, And and in many ways, we're kind of retraining our generation how to faithfully and effectively engage in the public square for the sake of the common good um, on climate specifically. But I think it, it, permeates many other issues as well. It's a, a new, a renewed form of Christian citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is the church doing in America? It, I know it's a mixed bag, so I, I would like to hear how, how you see it from your perspective. Mm-hmm. How is the church doing, I should say, in addressing the urgency of climate change and in finding uh, fruitful and um, as effective as possible ways of engaging? Mm-hmm. I think I'll answer that a few different ways because uh, I think it matters um, which part of the church you're talking about, what you mean when you ask how are they doing. Um, so I'll say up front, um, you know, the the perception of white evangelicals in particular uh, and their kind of suspicion of climate science and their resistance to proposed solutions is largely accurate. Uh, Many of the polls and the surveys bear out that white evangelicals are some of the most suspicious Mm -hmm. of the science of climate change, the most wary of proposed solutions, uh, and the least active politically in pushing leaders um, to do something about it. Um, Other pockets of the church, um, even other pockets of the evangelical community, tell a different story. So a full third of the evangelical church in America are people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Black churches, uh, immigrant communities, 
um, are much more on board, um, not only with the science, but with uh, solutions, both, you know, market based mm -hmm. and, and government driven. Um, so even within the evangelical community, yeah. um, there's a different answer to that question. And it sounds like there's a, a strong divide generationally as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And, and that's another way I would answer that question is mm -hmm. that, um, again, those same polls and surveys show us that there's a, a huge generational divide. Um, the Gen Xers kind of bridge the gap a bit, mm -hmm. but the baby boomers and some of the silent generation that um, are, are still with us mm -hmm. um, are much more resistant than uh, millennials and Gen Z. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, you know, the, the, those are the folks that we're trying to reach and trying to engage. And, and frankly, that's what gives me a lot of hope in yeah. this work is recognizing that a lot of the baggage that um, much of the church has had around the issue of climate change around environmental protection, a lot of that um, is, is kind of melting away with our yeah. generation and, and our generation is looking for new ways to think about this issue differently mm -hmm. um, and to find ways to take action. So the, the church is doing okay. <laughs> um, and, and it kind of depends on which part of the church you're talking sure, about. Sure. And there's a, a distinction with mainline evangelical as well. Um, and Catholic. And Catholic. Yeah. Um, so we could go into people of faith in general, but we'll stick with your work. So what are some successes and failures that you've seen in your work? Mm -hmm. Ones that stick out in your mind? Yeah. One of the, one of the exciting um, things that, that I, I love about what YUCA has been able to do in the last six years is um, generate uh, lots of exciting kind of media attention around our work. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, uh, the media doesn't quite know who we are or what to do with us. So um, <laughs> they, they want to talk to us, um, which is fun. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've been featured on NPR and PBS and um, CNN and NBC. And, and um, it's, it's exciting to, not just because, you know, it's, um, it's fun to sure. do those kinds of things, but it's exciting because it's getting our message in front of um, as wide an audience as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, I, I think that um, it's exciting to see that people are interested in understanding the nuance within the evangelical church yeah. and um, among generations inside the evangelical church. Um, one more kind more of so we had a, a panel on campus earlier. I think my, you might have been there, Kyle, with religion journalists mm. who were saying that as well. Mm -hmm. They were saying they're there is a huge shortage of religion journalists. Mm -hmm. There's a hu huge shortage of journalists who understand religion, which mm -hmm. is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, those who are in that field right now are working very hard to find those nuances. Mm -hmm. So they're out looking for groups like YECA mm -hmm. and trying to understand um, the varying motivations yeah. among this block that has been so often referred to monolithically mm -hmm. as white evangelicals right. or just evangelicals. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another um, kind of concrete success that I'm really proud of is in 2015, um, we launched a campaign to have young evangelicals write letters to the executive committee uh, of the National Association of Evangelicals. Oh, yes. mm -hmm. So the National Association of Evangelicals is kind of the largest umbrella organization of evangelical Christians in the U.S. It, it includes uh, a little over 40 denominations around the country, um, hundreds of organizations and campuses. 
um, all told about 43 million evangelical Christians um, are a part of institutions that are somehow affiliated with the NAE. And uh, in 2014, uh, we, sorry, 15, 2015, we had uh, young people write letters to the executive committee. Um, and, and I'm really proud of kind of the tone that we struck. So essentially our message was because you all did such a good job raising us in the church, um, we've caught the bug. We love Christ. We yeah. love the church and we yeah. care about the church's witness in the world. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, because of that, we feel compelled to urge you to take a stronger stance on the issue of climate change mm -hmm. um, because of the moral and the gospel implications involved for our neighbors and yeah. for God's creation. Um, we had hundreds of letters um, sent to the executive committee uh, at a time when they were considering a resolution around uh, a statement on creation care and climate change specifically. Um, and, you know, we've, we've heard since then that it was our letter campaign, as well as a couple of other focused um, and strategic interventions between us and that committee um, that eventually in October of 2015 helped them adopt mm -hmm. an official position on creation care and climate change yeah. um that this organization that represents you know 40 plus million evangelicals mm -hmm. um so i i think that's a great example of young people's ability to move our parents yeah. our grandparents um our elders in the faith mm -hmm. on this issue and institutions and, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. and the research is bearing that out too. Um, Scientific American just came out with a study that shows um, that young people, um, particularly young women, um, are most adept and most capable of moving members of the evangelical church um, on the issue of climate change. Fascinating. Yeah. Where are the, what are the sticking points? Where are the places of frustration for you mm. and your work? I think it continues to be the way in which climate change is so highly polarized and politicized mm -hmm. in our national discourse. A, a big part of what we try to do in our rhetoric mm -hmm. around climate change is to depoliticize it mm -hmm. and to re-biblicize it. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so, so we we um, we start with scripture, and we start with shared values. Mm -hmm. Um, we affirm our shared identity as people of faith. We talk about the things that motivate us. Um, this like, is just good rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know your audience. Yeah. You find common ground. Sorry, mm -hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's great. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we try to help them understand that, um, in particular, Scripture, um, because of our shared value around the authority of Scripture as the rule of life and faith, um, scripture has so much more than we give it credit for mm. to say about our relationship to creation, what God thinks of God's creation, our responsibilities toward it, mm -hmm. um, that go well beyond Genesis one and two. Yeah. Um, and so working to try to help uh, people understand that is, is a big part of what we do, but it's, it's, it's difficult when so much of our national discourse around the issue of climate change remains so base yeah. um, and and kind of appeals to our our tribal instincts yeah. our tribal partisan instincts mm -hmm. um when we're, we are just so convinced that climate change can be a trans-partisan issue yeah. it can transcend partisan politics everybody wherever they are on the political spectrum has a reason to care about climate change Absolutely. christians 
primarily. Mm. Um, and that's what we're trying to communicate. But um, a lot of people, because we've been conditioned to think about and engage climate change primarily through the lens of politics, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people have a hard time even hearing that from yeah. us. Yeah. So, so a big sticking point is just starting the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, there, there is a major generational divide on that point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2012, when we started our work, we were going into campuses and we had to start with, here's why we're not atheists. Here's why we share your faith. Here's why um, we're not socialists or communists. Like this is why this is an important issue that we can take seriously as Christians. And now when we go on campuses, students get that and and they want to start at, yeah, we get it. What can we do that will actually make a difference? And that shift has happened in seven years. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So you were also part of the Beyond Stewardship mm-hmm. group last summer um, where we're a group of people at Calvin and Calvin adjacent. <laughs> uh, that's one way to put it, I guess. <laughs> uh, a group of scholars across disciplines were thinking through this idea of stewardship, which has been important in the church. It has been one way to interpret the Genesis texts um, away from plain old dominion mm-hmm. and exploitation and extraction and toward caretaking. Mm-hmm. And last summer we had some conversations um, together about why stewardship has still has its benefits as a concept, but why it has limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our work together is coming out this summer, and your chapter has to do with kinship. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's one way into um, the deeper nuances of these theological connections um, between faith and climate action. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the idea of kinship and why that's important for you. Sure. So I, I think I want to start by just reiterating what you said about the importance of the concept of stewardship mm-hmm. in helping us get closer to scripture's ideal for our relationship to the rest of creation. Um, I, I feel um, very much aware of the the shoulders on which I stand mm-hmm. when I, I do the work that I do. People like Cal DeWitt, Um, who decades ago were pioneering the concept of stewardship um, and and trying to help the church um, reimagine our relationship to the created world. Um, But I do think that stewardship popularly understood in the church does have some limitations. And I think one of them is that um, I think an unintended consequence of a a paradigm of stewardship is that it can be co-opted by our Western Uh, modern instrumentalization of creation as kind of nothing more than inert raw material to be um, mined and and harvested in order to power our industrial machines Mm -hmm. Um, and and stewardship then in that context just means harvesting it well yeah. Uh, using it well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, creation's primary purpose is is for human use. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think scripture tells a, a much different story. It, it, it understands creation um, in a different way. Um, it, it understands creation as having its own inherent worth and value, um, independent of humanity. Mm-hmm. It understands humans as uh, interconnected and part of the rest of the created world, um, certainly with a unique role given our uh, the divine image mm-hmm. that that was um, imbued in us, but um, also understanding what that unique role looks like 
uh, and, and understanding that it's not licensed to exploit and abuse as we see fit, but instead a unique call to radical responsibility mm-hmm. uh, and, and caretaking, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of kinship, I understand it as a corrective against kind of the operating paradigm that I think is is prevalent within the church today mm-hmm. of stewardship as this distance between humans and creation and humans are custodians of this different other thing um, when in fact I think the scriptures tell a different story of interconnectedness of deep relationship mm-hmm. between us and the created world uh, and I think kinship can help us get closer to what scripture is actually telling us about our relationship to the rest of the natural world yeah So we're exploring this idea of refugia, which is a biological concept you're probably familiar with, where there are these small places of shelter where in a crisis, uh, life takes, uh, life continues, takes root, continues to grow, re-emerges. And so we've been thinking about that, not only in its biological context, but metaphorically. And I'm wondering from your point of view in your work, if you're seeing Mm -hmm. young people create places of refugia, that's how we've been talking about it. Um, that help them live into this new relationship with earth, maybe with their churches, maybe with their faith. Mm-hmm. Where are you seeing that? Yeah, I, I love this concept mm-hmm. of refugia. Um, and I, I think it, re- it resonates deeply with me and with my work. I think the work of activism in many ways is fundamentally about creating spaces of refugia, of mm-hmm. recognizing crisis, entering into it, wholeheartedly uh, in a way that reimagines uh, a different way of being and reimagines a different future and then goes out and fights for it and tries to create it. Um, And I think one of the really cool spaces of refugia that I'm seeing in my work uh, with YECA is just the community Mm -hmm. that is created among young people of faith who I think in many ways kind of feel like exiles um, in our in our faith communities, I think in many ways we feel like our faith communities have left us behind, on a in a, in many ways, mm-hmm. including on the issue of climate change, um, and it, it almost feels like a betrayal for young people because um, it feels as if our Sunday school teachers, yeah, our pastors, our parents, um, have looked at us and said. I don't believe your future is Mm -hmm. in danger. I don't believe you when you say you're scared about having kids. I don't believe you when you say you're not sure how you're going to live fruitfully and flourish um, in 40 or 50 years. That's really painful. Um, And so a lot of young people in this movement are looking for refugia. They're Mm -hmm. they're looking for spaces that can um, bring life out of that pain, out of that hurt. Um, and I think one, just one concrete example of how that's happening in our work is our program um, called the Climate Leadership Fellows Program. So it's a leadership development program that seeks to train and equip college students for an academic year um, to carry out projects on their campus toward education, toward climate adaptation, mitigation, what have you, on their campus. Um, fellows have gotten solar panels on campuses. They've gotten composting in the dining halls. They've gotten administration to commit to renewable energy standards. Um, they've write, written pieces for newspapers. It's just really cool mm-hmm. um, to see young people finding their voice um, 
and, and for us to kind of pour into them and invest in them. But more than that, for them to find each other yeah. and to invest and pour into each other. Every single year at the end of a fellowship in May, when the academic year ends and the fellows are wrapping up their time, without fail, in each of their final reports, I read some version <laughs> of what was the most meaningful part of this experience for you. And it's always the fellows that I walked alongside of yeah. in this work throughout the year. Um, my peers who are on other campuses around the country who I got to meet with every other week on a video call who I got to spend a week with at a retreat center in August being trained together sharing some of the same pain that we bear um, these feelings of betrayal uh, these feelings of tension between us and our faith community finding people who are entering into this work with me gave me hope um, gave me life. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's the perfect mm -hmm. example of refugia entering yeah. into this place of crisis and finding rebirth and new life. Yeah. Beautiful. So they find it in each other mm -hmm. and in the work itself. Yeah. Right. That's uh, wonderful because I've been thinking about this tension in the reform tradition between our kind of activism mm. and then our sense of humility and sinfulness mm -hmm. and woe is me, <laughs> which is, you know, there's a lot of evidence for that. So mm -hmm. it's a convincing part of our theological themes. Um, but you're suggesting that this idea of shelter mm. happens in the action. I think we often oppose those two, mm -hmm. that a place of shelter is a place of quietude or rest. In fact, I was just speaking with Jamie Skillen about refugia and Sabbath. Mm. Um, but it's not the same as passivity. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful to hear you talk about it. it the action itself yeah. can become this place of re-emerging mm -hmm. life that can spread. I'm struck by this sense of pain and betrayal that you speak of. And I'm wondering what advice you would give to the older generations mm. in churches um, in hearing and responding to that pain in constructive ways yeah. for their sons and daughters, the young people in their churches, what suggestions would you give? Mm. Listen. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I want to be careful because um, even in my own story, I, I have examples of my parents, mm -hmm. of, um, other leaders who raised me in the church who have done that, have listened, yeah. have um, exercised the humility to kind of suspend their assumptions and actually hear my story and to believe me. Um, and I'm deeply blessed by that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I look to those examples as my advice. Follow the example of my parents mm. who um, before my kind of transformation on this topic um didn't think a whole lot about climate change certainly didn't think about what it had to do with their faith um but since because of their love for me have listened um have called the members of congress um have donated to our organization monthly um because they support me and they support my work um so listening and and practicing those spiritual disciplines um, that you instilled in us of mm -hmm. humility, mm -hmm. um, of patient listening, of um, compassion for one another, of empathy. Um, Always going back to the scripture, yeah. reflecting on it again, mm -hmm. letting it speak anew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, continuing that study. Mm -hmm. um, 
What are the most beautiful places of refugia for you right now? Mm. Um, this might uh, not, not quite fit the description of refugia perfectly because I wouldn't <laughs> call it crisis, although sometimes it feels like crisis, is <laughs> parenthood. Um, my my 14-month-old son, um, watching him discover the world, mm. um, watching him explore our garden and watch the peas sprout up, watching him go from being terrified of touching grass to <laughs> loving the grass yeah. and wanting to walk around in it all day long, watching him um, perk up every time he hears a dog bark or a bird chirp, just mm -hmm. his hyper awareness um, to creation mm -hmm. and kind of that innate connection um, between us and the created world um, that exists in all of us yeah. when we're his age. Um, being open to that and bearing witness to that has been refugia for me. Mm, the world is wondrous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one knows that better than a tiny kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, how can people learn more about Young Evangelicals for Climate Action if they want to get involved? Yeah. So head to our website, yecaction.org. Do you ever call yourselves Yekka? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a raging internal debate about that. <laughs> is there? Uh, we've come down on, sure, do it if you want to. <laughs> But we don't do it ourselves because it sounds too much like yuck. <laughs> so we go with Y-E-C-A, um, but yucca is just fine. You could use the yucca plant. The That's yucca true. plant is That's your symbol. There you go. It's a healing plant. Wow. Rebranding. Yeah. There you go. All right. I'm going to bring it to the team. <laughs> um, but even if you just Google Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, you'll find our website. Mm -hmm. um, find us on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably where we're going to be most active and where you can get plugged in. But right on our website, there is a faithful action pledge. Um, it's a paragraph. That's essentially our manifesto. It says... Because we follow the risen Christ, we um, are called first and foremost to, to love God and to love our neighbor, the greatest commandment given to our Savior or given by our Savior. Mm -hmm. um, and we believe that acting on climate change is an opportunity to do both better. So we're going to do that. Um, if you sign that, it gets you into our system. You'll get our newsletters. You'll get our email updates. You'll get action opportunities. Um, and even if you aren't a young person, I was going to ask that, <laughs> can oldsters get involved? 100%. <laughs> um, we have a lot of supporters outside of kind of our target age range, which is 18 to 30. Mm -hmm. Those are the folks we're really trying to, to reach and to mobilize, but we have tons of supporters, um, and we couldn't do our work without them. Mm -hmm. So, um, donating is a, a major way that older folks can get involved and support our work. Um, we cannot do our work without donations. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge way for you to act on your values and support um, the work that we're trying to do. Um, you know, prayer um, and just reaching out to us. You know, my email is easy to find mm -hmm. on our website. Um, our, our organizational email is easy to find. Um, if you're an older evangelical listening and you want to find ways in addition to donating and praying for us, uh, reach out. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that we have an action planned in your region and you can host us or you can you can reach out to your church uh, youth group and, and find other young people who might be interested in our mission and vision and get them involved. Yeah, repost, retweet. Mm -hmm. yeah, Absolutely. Great. So I heard a rumor that you can't work for YECA after age 30. Is that true? <laughs> Are they going to fire you? When is so, your birthday? <laughs> it was recent. Oh, dear. Um, so there is there's no official policy. 
<laughs> there is um, a cultural practice within the organization to consider where God might be calling you next. <laughs> I see. As as you enter your thirties, we need you to hear the Holy Spirit calling mm-hmm. you. <laughs> exactly. So so the practice has been that actually when you turn thirty one, because mm-hmm. when you're thirty you're still a part of that target age range, okay. eighteen to thirty. Um, once you turn thirty one. Um, to to kind of step away and, and to pass the torch. Mm. And frankly, I believe wholeheartedly in that practice. Okay. Um, it's important for the integrity of our organization as a youth-led movement trying mm. to move young people to be led by young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I turned 30 two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, so Happy I, birthday. I, thank you. <laughs> I, I have about a year left. Um, okay. and, and I've been thinking uh, about... Um, how to focus this year on transitioning well, mm-hmm. um, on making sure that the good work continues. And thankfully, we have an amazing team of young leaders mm-hmm. uh, on our steering committee who will continue this work yeah. um, and make it even better than I've been able to do it. So. Maybe you can found middle-aged evangelicals for climate action. There you go. 30-age <laughs> something evangelicals. M-A-E. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. Kyle, thank you for the work that you do. Um, And thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been Refugia, a podcast about renewal. Find us on the web at refugiapodcast.com and leave us a comment. Send us your ideas about what Refugia means for you. You can also find me, Deborah Reenstra, on Facebook and Twitter at Deborah K. Reenstra.